of our economy, why wouldn't our homes and our electronic devices and everything else be regenerative? Why, why would not want to care about seven generations down the line? It's win-win for everybody, including the best hemp products. I know you care about organics and mode of cultivation just as I do. And the good news is the regenerative mode in hemp provides by far and away the highest quality product for the customer and the enjoyer of the product, including in my own case, my own family of my own harvest. Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, the show that inspires, promotes, and gives you a daily dose of inspiration from the people who have used cannabis to change their lives in extraordinary ways. Here's your host, Justin Benton. Welcome back to the Miracle Plant Podcast. We share amazing stories from incredible guests around the world. And do we have a treat for you today, folks? We have the one and only Doug Fine, the author of Hemp Bound and American Hemp Farmer, just an absolute advocate who's done so many amazing things for this miracle plant all over the world and here in our country. Doug, welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast. We are so happy to have you. Justin, thank you so much for having me. These discussions are important with humanity in ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, two outs when it comes to climate and food security. Absolutely. And I know that you wrote that in your last book that we are in the bottom of the ninth inning here, an American hemp farmer. Can you expound on that and what we can do and what has maybe gotten us to that point and what we can do moving forward? I'm not sure if most of your guests focus specifically on benefits of plants and specifically cannabis hemp plant. And I know you have a very, I'm glad to say, common story of this has changed the health for the better in a significant way of someone in my family and or saved a member of my family's life, changed someone that I love's life or changed my life. You hear that story a lot specifically about cannabis hemp plant. For me, they used to joke during cannabis prohibition that it was a gateway drug that, uh, drug at all, but gateway drug that if, if people had cannabis in their lives, they were likely to go on to these really dangerous other things. It is a gateway. It's a gateway for me to understand about the role of healthy soils, healthy ecosystems, and healthy plants. I, I was more of an animal guy, totemically uh, goat herder kind of guy that could always get the goats to calm down on the milk stand. That was my where my skill set was. And from the cannabis plant, I really learned about plant intelligence, which is super fun as a farmer. But Really, this lesson, this fundamental lesson that building soil and growing regenerative crops of all kinds, not just cannabis hemp, is a key to humanity's coming, thriving in these coming centuries, basically recreating the regenerative society that humanity's lived for most of its existence. We've had an aberration, I think, over a couple of millennia or an experiment we learn we all learn something from it and i'm sure there's lessons to take but uh two steps back and maybe three steps forward now through regenerative agriculture so i come at it from a really high altitude view i never leave home without my 3d printed hemp composite plastic goat because as a goat herder i believe that compostable inputs from crops like hemp's fiber and others biomass means goodbye pacific garbage patch so these are the things I'm thinking about even beyond one plant. Absolutely. And can you explain to our audience, what is regenerative farming? What does that mean? Until the age of supermarkets, if 
you weren't like a duke or whatever, and you wanted to survive a winter to the next spring, you had to have a successful crop or a successful hunting harvest or a successful gathering season or and or a successful fishing season, all that good stuff. How, how The reason we're having this conversation is humans had it figured out how to keep the next generation alive, a very successful species, and that's regenerative. A century ago or less, population pressure figures into it, and then there was this sort of cult of anything technological must be an advancement. And, and you see the logic on this. It, it, in some cases, it, it was hard to be, a, let's say, a farmer. I've been a subsistence fisherman in Alaska. I didn't think it was that hard, and I don't think it's that hard to farm where I live in New Mexico. It does really rely on the vicissitudes of Mother Nature and the whims, and you, you see why people do harvest dances and give a lot of thanks and poses and prayers because a lot has to go right in the field to survive. But about a century or so ago, this advancement through chemistry, progress through chemistry, all that business, that kind of slogan was embedded in the thinking of especially academics and folks like that. And, and it's still in, there's not this lever. I talk about in American Hemp Farmer, it's always just fifth gear ahead, even if you're not paying any attention to how long that might last. So. In short, regenerative farming, regenerative everything means you're producing something, let's say superfood from hemp seed or clothing from flax or whatever you're growing, berries from your berry patch, in such a way that you can do it again the following year. Your soil's healthy, your land is healthy, your genetics are strong, etc. So that's regenerative to me. And it expands to the whole society because hemp folks tend to be associated with this kind of regenerative thinking. The reemergence of hemp after 80 years of prohibition is providing the spear point for a movement to move this to all sides of our, of our economy. Why wouldn't our homes and our electronic devices and everything else be regenerative? Why, why would we not want to care about seven generations down the line? It's win-win for everybody, including the best hemp products. I know you care about organics and mode of cultivation just as I do. And the good news is the regenerative mode in hemp provides by far and away the highest quality product for the customer and the enjoyer of the product, including in my own case, my own family of my own harvest. Absolutely. And you really are a model for us, Doug. And I love how you even talk about some of the waste in our industry, the cannabis and hemp space. What are some of the things that you do? Because you make products, you make your own hemp and your own hemp seeds and and do it in a beautiful way. But you take it one step further, which I think is just sets the bar for everyone else to live up to as far as even the glue and things like that. I'd love for you to share that. Thanks, Justin. I appreciate you mentioning that because although my personal product to date has been grown, we, I've been growing it with my colleagues in Vermont, certified organic, outdoors, dioecious, male and female, and immersing the flower from at least some of the seed of that actual crop. It's all organic hemp seed oil, but some of that hemp seed oil that it's, that it's decarbed in, uh, and I do the decarbing personally, small runs, thousand-ish units. So it's a very small scale, and it's to try and, first of all, establish and discern is this doable, because one wants to actually walk the walk and talk the talk in life, and if I'm going to be a journalist, let alone a pundit, you're giving me time here to express my opinions about not necessarily how it should be done within hemp's big tent, but a way that I think folks can consider if they're thinking about not just making a good living, which everyone has a right to do. That's another win-win of regenerative, but really thinking about generations down the line and 
transforming society into into a healthier uh, society. So that that's why I do it. It's very small scale, but it's at least to show that it can be done. And what and where is it realistic and where it is not? You mentioned the labels, right? So to date, this has been a three ounce product that I do. Today it's been marketed as a external use only uh, bath oil, massage oil, muscle rub kind of thing. I personally, in my own life, eat it. It's the product that I do. I just haven't done food grade with it yet. That's in the plans. Same kind of slow growth cycle I recommend for the regenerative farmer entrepreneur in, in my journalism and my books and stuff like that. But the labels are compostable labels with non-toxic stickum. And at this point in the rebirth of the biomaterials era and the regenerative economy, that's really expensive. That's not cheap. More than 50 cents per label. And how many people care? How many people notice? Again, for me, that's not the point. The point is I'm trying to, to walk the walk and, and explain a model. So if it were up to me and I was distributing, I'd advocate a certain range of distribution. Become the, one of the really great producers of your toothpaste or whatever you do, your CBG or your Entourage Effect product that you market regionally and distribute when you have to use cars and electric cars. Like there, You can take all these things really far. And I, in my view, one is wise to. But everybody's got to draw their line in the sand. Your product and others that I know that are at, at your level, high quality product at the next level, there are decisions that have to be made, right? So the last thing we want to do is be judgmental. We want to ask these questions, start at a very high level, and always try and get a little bit better. Because you can be totally regenerative, I think, no matter the size of your enterprise. But equally important to me when we're talking about regenerative is that farmers are part of the enterprise. In my case, I am the farmer. I and my partners are the farmers. Something other than this model of there just being this fungible wholesale market where farmers are generally getting screwed by middlemen and, and everybody's looking for the cheapest price on their isolate. Much stronger, I think, for everything, for the quality of product, for the future of humanity, is a model where farmers are either the entrepreneurs themselves or they are equal partners in the venture in one way or another. I love the idea of organic cooperatives, especially on the fiber side, but all sides of the planet. But at B corporations, whatever it is, profit sharing, whatever the model is, our goal here is to enrich farmers. And the good news in terms of winning in the marketplace comes about when you, you look at the craft beer model. Every year, craft beer takes over 1% of the beer market. And in something like 15 or so years, it's going to be, there will be a larger share, more than 50% of people who drink beer in the U.S. are drinking what the craft beer association <laughs> considers craft beer. And there's really no, it's not cheaper. So there's really not an explanation other than it's better. It tastes better. I'm not a beer drinker myself, but that's why. And so in the hemp world, that's the model. Look for terroir. Look for the best possible cultivation. Loving your farmers that are out there, loving the crop every year. And then you shout about how much carbon you're sequestering in your product, everything regenerative you're doing. And then I would like to argue with a lot of hard work, that's going to be the leading brand in the marketplace. People aren't going to be as interested in just random X milligrams of CBD turning up in God knows what GMO oil solution in a drugstore. They're going to be looking for high-quality terroir hemp products. Postscript to this, one of the important, most important lessons in this, Justin, to farmer entrepreneurs is own your genetics. One of the things we're changing is this backwards way of thinking about farmers as serfs to seed companies or anyone else. We are the entrepreneurs. And so there's a lot that has to change within the kind of broken farming system. 
around the world. There's a crisis with farm farmers. We have farm aid. We don't have a hedge fund aid. And <laughs> there's, there's a lot that has to change. And any time you come, I, folks that want to roll with this, when you're trying to change federal law, for instance, I want to have a special craft terroir market for craft producers of hemp that has its own regulations, totally aside from all this BS, FISMA, and Global Food Safety Program, whatever it's called, Food Safety Initiative, all this nonsense that sterilizes foods. That's fine if that's what people want. I want safe but living foods for, for myself and my family. And so we, we need to codify this. And every time you go, okay, look, we, got, we need to raise the THC level. We want our own craft niche. We want this or that. And you're told, well, that's just not how agriculture has always been done. I think a good answer for that is, well, how has that been working out for farmers over the last century? We're not interested in mapping hemp on to a broken system. We're going to use hemp cannabis to create a healthier world, and that includes a better farmer-friendly market for all of our farm products. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I could listen to you talk for hours, Doug. Your insights and Again, where you set the bar for us to go. You're blazing a trail, brother. I'm so glad you're out there doing that. Speaking of that, what are you? What have you been up to? What What is going on? Where is the ball going? What do we need to be looking for in the future? What can we do? Obviously, we can buy hemp products. We can buy shoes. We can buy bamboo toilet paper. What are you seeing? What are you anticipating uh, coming in the future here? Educating customers, yeah, is a, bit, is a big thing. In some degree, even if we look, People like you and I, let's say, are have producers or at least farmers of our own product here. I do some genetic development on uh, seeds here, but really I'm just growing for food for my family, maybe a, a little bit of fiber to patch the porch with hempcrete or something. But we certainly we make our own tinctures and stuff from our flour from our home harvest here. But this is not my commercial product. But as a producer, as a farmer um, of hemp, I'm a customer for other things. And so this message is not just for hemp customers. It's for everyone. It's Think about price in terms of generations and not the immediate sticker price. If you, first of all, plant a hemp garden, if you even have a little patch of something in your roof in a city, or change your suburban lawn to, to a little bit of hemp, I think that if you do that outside, you're sequestering carbon, and that's a good thing. Plus, it is growing your superfood. But if you're a customer of hemp, if you're a customer of anything, and you're not growing it yourself, think, and my, what I urge folks to do is, first of all, think as regionally and locally as possible. So if you have a local farmer's market or a CSA, community-supported agriculture, that includes organic hemp, always as a baseline be thinking about organic and regenerative, but also regional enterprises are these farmer-owned enterprises. And it's not that much work. If you have a food co-op, I love food co-ops. I met my sweetheart, the mother of our children at our food co-op, so I especially love food co-ops. That's a great way to go. And Really, just take a minute to read the labels. It's fun, and uh, on your peppers, and on your on your hemp products, and on your toothpastes, as regionally baseline of organic as regionally as possible. Talk to your food managers and your farmers markets people if you're not seeing regional stuff. But if you are everywhere, the lieutenant governor of Vermont, uh, running for governor now, uh, David Zuckerman, is uh, he, he spends his weekends selling his organic hemp flour raw at the Burlington Vermont Farmers Market. And I know here in New Mexico, I have a colleague who grows organic, who, who sells raw flour at the Santa Fe Farmers Market up north. And I'm speaking to you, Justin, in California. I'm sure you guys are on this to the end. And as regionally as possible, ask the right questions for all your product. That's the best thing we can do as customers on everything. It's so fun for me. And my sweetheart is really, folks who've read American Hemp Farmer know she's been the driving force on these last products in my life that I thought I was doing a good thing. I was buying organic, whatever, whatever, it's Janie's, Annie's, Annie's, Mary's, whatever, organic 
dressing, what very few actual bottles with product from God knows where. And then you look it up and you see who owns these companies. And again, not I'm not of the mentality that's saying tear down all everything. It's just in your choices in the big tent where everything's available, choose as regenerative and locally as possible. And you'll find yourself living that way more so in your life. There is a downside to this lifestyle, though, Justin, I have to say. And that is the danger of living in a life of repurposed bottles. We buy everything in bulk, the things that we don't make ourselves, we buy in bulk. I might come in and think that there's flour or hemp protein in this green bottle that's for pancakes, and it could be like diatoms or sea salt. So um, know that when you live a regenerative life, you got to keep your labeling up to date, or you might find yourselves pouring salt when you think you're, when you think you're pouring uh, So I wanted to touch on the fiber, and I know that's a big movement that's going to happen. And I know you're out there and you talk about an American hemp farmer. What is to come to make the, the fiber part of the plant where we can turn into to batteries and to plastics and all the things that next generation, what needs to happen and, and what can we do to make that happen? Another great question. Fiber is obviously very important because it's the stuff that's going to go into tomorrow's porch swings, rocket parts everything that is petrochemical today or less regenerative, let's say, rather than tree forests, you can use biomaterials, pulping for paper, compostable, everything, so we don't have styrofoam stuff anymore. When I mentioned earlier my 3D printed hemp plastic goat for goodbye plastic garbage patch, you can create all different types of composites and plastics with different compostable, different, you might say, expiration dates, durability levels. If you're building a, a gymnasium or a, a high school cafeteria table out of it, you want it to stay sturdy. And then, of course, for you smart young engineers out there studying this stuff, our binders, our glues, we need to get those from biomaterials also. Those might come from seed oils. Those might, those might come from regenerative plants and barks and whatnot, as they always have been. Study history on these things. So fiber is very important. However, at scale, it's very easy to talk about these applications, and we know they work. The supercapacitor one is my favorite. If folks haven't heard hemp-based supercapacitors for next-generation biomaterials. Goodbye, rare earth environmental and uh, human rights issues and future resource wars can be avoided. If we don't need to be mining as much, the I did an article for Alternate a couple of years ago. Folks want a quick primer called Hemp is Coming to Your Car Battery was the headline, I think. And so I love this, right, that at the nano level, I'm such a non-fan of nano things for various health reasons and environmental reasons. And then here you go down to the single carbon level with this regenerative, safe biomaterial and its waffle-like formation, its layered surface area at the one carbon level uh, of hemp makes it a superior performance performing supercapacitor for these next generation devices that hopefully will be charged by the panels that are embedded in the roof of any vehicle that are embedded in the roof of our homes and and this is free as we all know and clean so there's a real route we have a route to a thriving next bunch of generations and next bunch of centuries post petroleum with humanity but fiber is in the real world Anything is just an entrepreneur to make it work in the real world is a ton of work, but fiber is hard because at scale, it takes a lot of acreage, a lot of feedstock. So in the most recent book, I crunched the numbers on this with materials engineers and all that good stuff. And if you're a region, if you want to be a region that forms, let's say, a fiber cooperative, I, I love this concept because whether you're growing for cannabinoids and flour exclusively since me or growing dioecious food crops like myself, you have fiber. And if everybody's fiber in a region is going to a facility where they are getting a paycheck 
for a value-added product that's turned into any of these applications we've been talking about. And we haven't even talked about the two current big markets for the inner core of the fiber, the herd, which are uh, hemp building stock, hemp creeps, often generalized as and and microbial balanced healthy animal bedding are two really big apps right now, two big markets for the fiber. Also not super hard to do at scale, but if you really are talking about being a professional and not being what we all are sometimes, which is uh, hypothetical dancers around the rainbow of what could happen, what I found was you need a minimum, and this is low-end, 24-7 turnkey facility for all sides of the plant doing things with fast and herd, as I've seen facilities in Europe doing. You need about 3,100 acres minimum feeding that facility. And the facility itself, once you figure in the amount of sort of expert knowledge that has to come in to make sure even a simple thing like a seed oil press or a decorticating at scale, well, more complicated things like rope making or any, if you want to get into any of that stuff, it actually takes skill to get these, this machinery set up and working and getting ma- even managers like the trainers are going to need to be trained. And we're talking five to $8 million minimum if you're going like with existing technology and really knowledgeable people. So that sounds like a lot. And I guess in conclusion, the only thing I'd say about that, besides that, if anybody is thinking about doing these, I'd love to try to to help, to try to herd the cats, as they say, for getting farmers to work together on a regional organic fiber uh, cooperative would be absolutely outstanding. But the other thing I want to say about that is I keep hearing about people who understand the process of large-scale agricultural development grants and all that kind of business. Now, I tend to, it's easy for me here in the middle of nowhere to be a rugged individualist and a libertarian and all that kind of business. Part of it is just, yeah, I wouldn't want to spend three hours, let alone three weeks, looking at form three, section B, subsection Roman numeral eight, how many sheep will be on this farm or whatever. But part of it, I just, I don't like the idea of anybody being totally dependent on some like largesse from somewhere else. That's whatever. But that said, I know good people doing righteous good work, getting pretty large five and six figure, sorry, six and seven figure grants for various agricultural products. So I would just wanted to plug the idea that if, if it might be, I know it's someone I'm certainly looking to meet is someone that really knows how to corral those horses of getting all the applications necessary for maybe a facilities grant to cover that five to eight million dollars and then it's not just that then it's the the cost of forming the cooperative education for the farmers the vehicles that pick up the, the the fiber figuring out storage and learning how to do professionally learning how to do the storage it's not something to be entered to lightly it's going to take several years of planning for instance before a facility is ready to go i've had material engineers tell me it takes the average, a skilled farmer a couple of years to learn how to grow fiber, let's say, for textile grade. I can tell you, I, you know, I have some genetics that I've been working with that I love that I think to grow great fiber. It's not that hard to grow great fiber, especially if it's mixed use for some of the stuff that's not a specialty. But I see what the engineers are saying in that there is a certain fiber quality, especially on the fast, that, that can be necessary. But even on the herd, one has to be professional about knowing how to use equipment that can chop the herd to a certain level of cleanliness or to a certain diameter and a certain range because different applications are going to demand different dimensions. So it's a pro it's a, it's like anything else. You wouldn't just like 
say, oh, I like teeth. Now I'm going to start doing fillings. You go to dental school first. So I think that's the case for for fiber processing. But it's really important, and I do hope folks get into it. I tell you what, I it's I want to help, Doug. So how can we help? What can we do? How can they reach out to you for those that are hearing this that say, yes, this sounds like something I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of this movement to get this these hemp refineries up and running, whether it's investors or farmers. How do they reach out to you, Doug? How do they send you an email? Yes, absolutely. Thanks for asking that. And Justin, I want to say I think you're part of this team too. For Frankly, at this point, anybody who's in hemp with a regenerative and organic mindset is on the team because we're, we're hemp's leading brand right now and almost nobody who has that mentality is in it for the get-rich-quick scheme that we know doesn't work. Anyway, everybody's in it for the long haul because they're passionate about it. And so we're really all part of this team. It doesn't always have to be Doug or Justin involved. But that said, in general, if folks want to talk to me about projects like this or any kind of projects, I do enjoy what the what the business world calls consulting uh, for projects. I like just helping people professionally. It's a great gig. But if folks also are interested in any of my books or also I recently launched an online regenerative hemp comprehensive course online, a 10 chapter course from acquiring genetics and prepping soil through cultivation, harvest, processing, marketing, all from a regenerative independent farmer outlook. That link to registering for that course, all my books, and also contacting me on consulting projects is all conveniently at dougfine.com. And you'll see links for all that stuff there. Take Doug's hemp course or contact or whatever. And you can also see some of my fun videos, Conan appearances and testifying before the UN and doing a TED talk on why goats are goat herding is such an important uh, spiritual practice in my life. And it was go- it was a bear attack on my goats thanks to a climate change induced fire that really spurred me to become a hemp farmer, by the way, by way of backstory. And then just social media folks do the social media thing, Twitter and Instagram at organic cowboy, two C's in the middle or one, all one word organic cowboy. And uh, really thank you for asking and thank you so much for having me and to talk about what to me are some of the most important things in life to talk about, Justin, because I, to me, my family is pretty much everything. Lockdown has been very little change in our uh, functional change in our lives. I'm, I feel very fortunate to say. And so from there, it's what can we do? And it's sequester carbon. That's what we can all do in our backyards. So I appreciate you letting me shout it out here a little bit with you today. I love it. We're so happy to have you. We'd love to have you back again. I do love your one quote, which is, Growing hemp is the most fun you can have outside the bedroom. I think that's hilarious and true. I love it. I was out uh, farming yesterday. Uh, Thanks again for coming on. I do hope to see you in person, hopefully in March, maybe. Fingers crossed in NOCO. If not, whenever that time happens, I really look forward to all of us humans getting to hang out with each other again. But we'll take what we can get for now. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Doug. And uh, our highlighted review of the week comes from Amy Sun Henry. So helpful. Thank you to your first guest for sharing her story and the details of her struggle with her son. So much good information here. I want to listen again. So every week, make sure that you are responding, that you're reviewing, that you're sharing. It means so much to us so others can hear it, but also that it can be found on the algorithms of Apple. So please take the time to review it for three minutes if you heard a great story. And also remember, if you have a great story, reach out to us at info at themiracleplant.org. And uh, thanks for joining us here on the Miracle Plant Podcast, everybody. And we will see you next week. Take care, everybody.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.